Hi, welcome to Get In, the connected vehicle podcast from BlackBerry. I'm your host, Steve Kovsky, and in this series, we'll be diving into what the future of transportation just might look like. Today, I'm joined by a guest who knows a great deal about how we're going to pay for it. I would like him to introduce himself, if you would. My name is Axel Enger. I'm based out of Munich, Germany. Um, I've been with Zoora um, as the industry lead for automotive. And in that, we have a pretty good overview of what's happening in the industry. And glad to be here to talk about this. How are we going to be in the future paying for cars and the mobility? I'm looking forward to getting into this and, and what Zora does and, and uh, how this is going to change our connected car experience. One of the things we like to do on this show is ask people about themselves a little bit and their experience with cars. And uh, I don't know if you grew up in Munich, which is where I think you're joining us from today. Um, what was your first experience as an operator of an automobile? To be frankly honest, I was born and raised in Hamburg, um, but living in Munich since 25 years so far. Um, in, in funny, funny wise, during my high school year in North America, uh, in California, I did my, high, my, my, my driving license. So my was with a 56 uh, Chevy pickup. Um, uh, was was my first car to drive. Uh, and I went to the DMV with that one. So that was quite an experience. Potentially, that was not would not have been my car of choice doing the license in Germany because of gasoline consumption as well as on space on the street. <laughs> Clearly, that would have been a classic car in that day because you're not old enough for that to have been a, a, a model off the line. Uh, okay, well, I, I want to hear more about that because um, maybe we passed each other on the road. I went to high school probably about the same time in California. Um, and. You know, uh, before we get into kind of the meat of everything, uh, I, we just started talking, but you've already inspired me today because I was looking on your your profile on LinkedIn and saw what you're doing uh, as a volunteer to help support the humanitarian effort to aid the people of Ukraine. And I wanted to give you a shout out for that. I was inspired by that. But could you tell us a little bit about what that project is and, and how it came to be? How it came to be, it was I was on a flight to North America uh, roughly a couple of weeks ago. And um, I heard about this, you know, this relief campaign being organized by some startup founders here in Munich. And they were urgently looking for drivers. And they had the cars, they had you know, some BMWs and some other brands that were given to them and uh, they need drivers to drive goods and needed supplies to Ukraine uh, or to the border of Poland and Ukraine and on the way back taking refugees with them um, mainly obviously what uh, women and child and 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 elderly and uh, on the way back um, there is a whole you know whole team behind it calling private families and finding space for them so they don't have to go to the refugee camps. And I found this so much you know this is not very far from us here. It's just a you know it's one thousand kilometers direct line to the Ukrainian border. And I felt we need I need to do something. And the thing that I really can do really well is drive long time car. Um, legally, I'm not going to tell you how long I was. It was a very long drive. It was thought provoking. It was positively negatively. It was one of the most experiential weeks I had, uh, 27 hours from leaving and coming back uh, with about a half an hour of sleep in between. On that campaign, we were able to get out 32 people um, happily away from, from the war, from the craziness. 
and bringing them to Munich, bringing them to to some families, bringing them to them, some relatives around Munich. So that was just, um, it was a stunning experience. I commend you. I am uh, so in awe of uh, of the efforts that people are making uh, on these on their behalf. And um, if people want more information about this, they can go to LinkedIn. They will take contributions. It's a fantastic thing that you're doing. And the cool and, and the cool thing, I yeah. interrupt you. The cool thing is, um, some of these cars were uh, level three autonomous. So we are we drove a convoy. And though um, uh, we were just hearing the steering wheel, the, the cars did all themselves for the driving. So long driving helps you when those cars connect and teach, talk to, you, to, to each other. Um, that was a fantastic experience driving down there and making use of long, you know, those kind of technology advancements. Thank you so much for making the segue for me. I, I you know, we had talked about it previously. I wasn't sure if that was the case. Uh, that exceeded my expectations, level three. Um, but it really is a great example of how connected we are becoming and how our cars are part of that. And I would like you to talk a little bit about Zora and what it is trying to accomplish. How is it, how is it affecting the automobile economy? Yes, absolutely. So Zora you know, is in the heart of powering the subscription economy. We founded that kind of industry and we help power subscriptions um, in every industry. Um, it's, it's practically driving from quote to revenue, the whole process end to end, and um, on one of the, le the leading platform for subscription management. So really kind of um, helping um, excel the experience to the subscription area. And uh, so we are kind of driving the everything as a service economy. And with that, obviously, automotive, manufacturing, retail, all these things look for digital transformation, the next level of business transformation, and how they evolve uh, in the business models also, especially with the pandemic, um, you know, most of the subscribe-based businesses didn't see that down downturn of revenue because they had recurring revenue coming in, not to do the sell over and over again. And that's where we we are in the heart of it. Um, and it's, it's really kind of um, helping these brands to launch subscription ideas that they have, to optimize them, to scale in the end and really kind of drive um, a, a new business line uh, beyond their normal business. You know, it's really interesting one of the things I was reflecting on is, in some ways, this isn't new. It, for a consumer, if we've got satellite radio, we might have a service like OnStar, where we've been paying a subscription that came with our car, and maybe we're used to, to doing that do either annually or monthly, having it um, automatically paid. How is this different? from that experience it's not that different it's it's a different product it's it's different because we as consumers um, and and the the brands itself or the organization themselves um, are just changing how they sell um, so they're looking more of um, a one-time sell or product centricity more to a customer centricity so and and more of selling I'm selling a car as uh, selling a product um, or do I sell a product and offer additional services along the way to enhance the experience, to enhance the product itself and make you know features and functions. So as an example, somebody in Los Angeles or somebody in Madrid in Spain, they don't need a four by four car, right? 
They don't need that because there's hardly any snow. But they may be, you know, there are tons of four by fours driving there. Um, but potentially what you can do in the future and will be done in the future, and some of the automotive brands do that already, is, well, four by four is built in, but you only um, subscribe to it when you need it. You maybe go up to, you know, um, to the mountains for skiing in, uh, out of uh, Los Angeles, um, or you go in, you know, in Spain up into Sierra Nevada. Use this feature or the function when you need it, and you pay by use. So this whole thinking of I'm buying a car, everything is equipped that I need, regardless if I need it right now, I pay for it. So the question is, how do I expand my product lifeline across my customer, and how do I keep um, and build a meaningful relationship with my customer on that journey. And, you know, selling a car is nice. It's a good effort. But selling a car twice to the, uh, to the same person is something that shows that you have done something right on that journey. Um, and that's where, where, where we really help to enhance these kind of activities and build that platform underneath to help the OEMs, especially, but all across all industries to monetize the, ex the experiences that they have invested in the last three, four, five years. They're heavily invested in, in, in increasing the customer experience, wrapping them themselves around the customer. And now we're here since about four, five, seven years where we kind of help them to monetize that. So you did, in fact, blow my mind a little bit. Uh, and part of it is the granularity that is now in the vehicle because of the technology that you can't separate out. So I have a car, it's a hard top convertible. I, I don't know, I don't use the, the, con the convertible feature for months at a time. Uh, and I'm just driving a hard top. Now, I don't know if they would want to charge me to, uh, to enable that. But if they have full control of the vehicle, um, and they can, they can turn on, turn off features, also, perhaps monitor, you know, that I'm using that feature so it's very seamless. That opens up a new, a, a new avenue for having this this relationship with the uh, the automobile consumer. Absolutely, and and I think um, the, the the space, the inside of the car, um, and and how you consume um, features, functions, services, media, um, is in, a, in infinity because. Um, um, it's not defined yet what the payment road is from inside the car to the outside. There are nuances and there are some first starting points, uh, but it's not clear as on mobile phones how you pay. Inside the car, it's not defined yet how, you, how your car pays for your parking or how your car pays for the road tolls. So um, it's all about making life easier for drivers uh, and create value through this. And this route of payment hasn't been decided yet. Each OEM is doing it slightly different. And that's why I believe a Google or a Apple is chasing the inside of the car. They really want to kind of own that experience inside the car, control how they uh, and, and, and give them the experience that the people know from from outside the world of auto. And I think that's where the critical path comes in uh, because OEMs need to control that inner, inner circle of their car. They need to control the experience they want to give in to their customers. And I always see that, that OEMs need to build an, a vault garden um, around their customer base. They need to protect them. 
they need to decide which of the features and functions and services make sense in their cars, um, not only for security reasons, but also to participate and, and create a value-based um, offering within their car. An offering in BMW might look totally different than GM or Ford. Um, if, if, if you're on one of these larger platforms like Google or, or Apple, they're all going to look the same kind of thing. So in my perspective. So I think, honestly, having that customer ecosystem built around the products, around these whole, you know, um, um, life cycles and, and, and helping the customer to get the best and the most out of the product on their life cycle, three, four, five years, depending on where you live and how you use your car. That's a key point. And um, coming back to that payment piece, the payment piece is the one, the crucial point of it, because that's where rubber hits the street. <laughs> that's where, where you need to see where revenue and new business models will monetize. Well, there is a world of improvement that's needed right now because it is so inconvenient to use these services. When I live near a toll road, and in order to be able to use that toll road without having a transaction that I have to attend to each time, I had to, using the mail of all things, who uses mail, but I, I had to uh, get a device from them. Now I can do it electronically, but I still have to, I have to manage it. My car does not manage it. Um, if you are on a road trip and you think ahead and say, okay, I'm going to order some food. And then you try to navigate through whatever the, uh, the experience is to order online. You'll often arrive before you've placed your order because, and you can't do it if you're driving, maybe if you have a, a completely autonomous vehicle, otherwise the passenger is going to do it. So it's just, it's, it's a miserable experience right now. How does, how does Zora help us? change that so it's a it's a seamless pleasant delightful experience we're one part of that whole journey just just as you just described it's it's all about the os in the car it's all about the um usability and those kind of things i mean legally most of the countries prohibit you to do that what you just described so you need to be very careful in doing those things uh, legally practically every every country has um a legal um, a, a legal um, rule not touching your mobile. Um, so, so and and so we need to be careful here. So Aura is helping really kind of um, to to uh, to to optimize the experience in terms of how do I how do I have an offer? Do I have that offer from that you know from that fast from that restaurant? Do I have a, a um, an offer that I take on? Um, how do I process in the back? How do I get an invoice? How do I uh, uh, pay for it? All the way to um, for the restaurant. Or for the OEM, who depending on who's handling the payments, um, doing a revenue recognition towards that. So it's really, if you if you if you want to pictureize it, it's between the ERP and the CRM system to manage all these processes in very f uh, granular versions of all the activities that a subscriber normally has. Maybe he's using it three times a, a day, then it's, he's, he's off for a week, maybe then he used it 15 times. And this is a very, mm, uh, very um, flexible system that really kind of helps the, the, um, the manufacturer to kind of come 
and build an experience that is in line with their brand experience in terms of how it, how they're invoiced, how flexible and transparent these are, and um, how you can, you know, for instance, you get at the end of each day, you might get a, a clear um, overview what you have been consuming during the day over the car. That's that seems simple for, but low, large large auto manufacturers or other manufacturers or brands and industries, that's a tough cookie um, because each of these um, fine-tuned services that you charged for need to be um, recognized in terms of financially, but also how do I drive the experience to the customer to for transparency because you know you want to make sure that your car charge only charges you what you want so the complexity here is very very high and our platform helps to ease that very very smoothly and in, in each direction internally and you know into the finance into the marketing department for creating new packages new pricing new offerings um, but also to the finance department to do the invoicing but also the revenue recognition closing the books um, all the way to the erp system um, that the financial team uses in, in docking into the legacy system. So it's very API driven and our system practically can plug into any of those systems and multiple systems. What are some of the choices? You mentioned the Google, the Apple platforms, um, some of the drawbacks they have. What are what are the OEMs facing in terms of choices of who to of who to partner with? And I will say you talked about creating a walled garden around the consumer. And I find that Amazon, uh, which is a partner of BlackBerry and and uh, we have uh, are, are bringing together uh, the BlackBerry Ivy platform, which competes in some respects. But on the retail side, I will often make a purchase with Amazon, even if it costs a little bit more, because they've got my information. They make it very easy to do it. And the ease of use is so important. But uh, if you're facing this as an automotive OEM, you're looking at this new subscription economy, they have to choose a platform or build one themselves. What is this, what is this uh, decision tree that they're looking at and, and how are they facing it? It's a good question. Um, and each of these OEMs treat it differently. We have some that are trying it with the legacy system and they, they, they face quite some challenges. Um, um, some are using multiple platforms, some for just for payment, just for, for revenue recognition, some for it, it's very different from each of these OEMs, how they um, attach it. Um, I can say that most of them who are, who have, have a thought process, um, um, already been done or executing on customer experience optimization uh, and and being data driven they mainly come very quickly to a single platform to manage the whole process and especially you know um, with ev and that's where we can kind of have that end-to-end -end experience really kind of from from offer of that restaurant you said all the way to revenue recognition you can drive that experience end to end across all systems in the back end and the car in the end is only a mobile device that is the interaction point and that's how we see each iot device um uh, that that they it delivers an experience it delivers back data on which you can execute on and that's how i how we see this and um the, the complexity in the oem space um, there are some old, there are cultural ones, there are technology ones, and there are business, you know, business optimization ones. And 
the combination of those makes it makes it so complex um, because you tell uh, the, FF, uh, the 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 financial guy you're gonna you know, you're gonna be shifting and earning not the money while you sell the car because you're gonna be earning money across the life cycle. It's a totally different business model. So there's a lot of change and business change and business transformation behind it and a cultural change because you need to test, you try. It's, 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 it's like testing and trying a new feature in the car. The technicians, the engineers will test it till the end. They say, now it's ready to ship. It's the same thing with, with, um, with subscription. You want to test and try what is the best value, the best experience that customers get from your offerings? Which again comes back to, you need to be able to fail fast and learn from it and try new. And especially in automotive and especially in Europe, that DNA of failure is not very nicely built. So, um, or that muscle, so to speak. So I think there is, there, there is some dimensions behind it, building and learning from that muscle how to do this. And that's why there is no plain answer of how OEMs and what they run into. It's, it's all one by one. You know, I think it's really interesting how you, you mentioned all of the dimensions that are here. And, and we often focus on the technological and we overlook the cultural and the, the human elements here. And there is a tremendous amount of change sweeping across this industry it, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. When you look at all of the things that are happening at the same time, autonomy, um, electrification, uh, software-defined vehicles, the importance of data, the ability to control at, at the, uh, the, to read the sensors in real time and apply artificial intelligence to optimize. All of these things are uh, compressing into this industry. Um, and then you look at, at how they pay for it. What are some of your thoughts about how this is all going to turn out? Do you, do you have some ideas? I have a global role. So I'm looking at the U.S. market different than I look at the EMEA market or the Chinese market. So U.S. market for me is, I compare it more to a CPG market than an art car market. Because Americans often use the car one, two, three years, and then they sell it. And you, 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 the selling of the car is by, by year. It's a 2022 car or a 2021 car. That's a, a different notion of how car sales are being done in Europe. So in, in Europe, main, in major countries in Europe, the car is still the second largest investment um, besides real estate. So there's a different, uh, you know, um, thought process, how they buy the car, how they order the car. Um, if you're in the US, you're, you're selling by the lot. You pick and choose a color and you just take that car and drive home. Um, that's why I'm saying CPG. It's like going into the supermarket and picking some apples. Um, and it's, it's in, in Europe, uh, if you go to the, right, let's say Germany, you go up to the dealer here and you say, I want to have that car. He said, nice, I'm going to give it to you. I can't, it's my model to, for showcasing. Um, you need to order it. And if you're lucky, you get it quite fast because they have somewhere built a, a similar car. Um, but most likely they're going to build it for you as you want to have it. So how it's going to turn out, different dimension. Number one is um, uh, one most important factor for everything we talk about here is 5G. Um, 5G in North America is quite nicely established, especially around these, uh, uh, the urban areas. In Europe, I wouldn't trust the 5G at this time 
driving from here where I live, Munich, up to Hamburg. That's 800 kilometers, around six or 600 miles, 560 miles. Um, I wouldn't trust a 5G network all the way up there. Um, so I think that's a crucial point of um, 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 uh, basic um, availability. Second one is... Um, if we look at uh, autonomous driving, for instance, um, which comes very fast and with services, media entertainment in the car, I think US will be much, much faster in establishing L4, L5 um, um, than Europe because the traffic is not as condensed. The streets are not that condensed um, and busy as they are um, in Europe, and I'm not talking about the five-lane um, traffic jam in LA because that's yeah, that's traffic. But the lanes are much wider, um, the streets, corners, the whole dimension is much much wider, which gives more room. In Europe, if you go to Nuremberg downtown, you have streets that nearly pass by two 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 um, smaller cars. So uh, there there that's one thing. The second thing is in, in autonomous is the legal state. Technically, it's all possible, but there's a legal state of how is the car going to decide if he needs to take a decision left or right. Those kind of things that insurance-based. But coming back to, to the level of customer experience within the car, I think there's a lot, or a lot been done the last you know, 24 months in the OEM space. Offering additional services, finally getting over-the-air updates into the car. Um, they're still learning and they're failing and they're starting to fail, which is fantastic because that's the best way to learn. And people are um, um, starting to understand that there are features in the car that they've already used on the mobile. And now they're transferring there. It's a car. It would make sense to start everything immediately because people would kind of push things away. People need to kind of get used to it uh, and, and look at it. And how do I drive this? And if you look at the dimension of how we as humans learn from a hardware mobile phone with, with, with you know, buttons. Today, we have a full, you know, um, uh, iPhone or a Samsung phone, uh, Amazon phone in, in front of us, fully blown technology you can do everything with it. So that's the same thing how the, the people using cars, the, 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 the customers will get to use to these different features and functions. And we'll sit here, Steve, in, in let's say five years or four years, and we're going to be talking about how could we ever had payments in the parking space or why, why do we pay for four by four when we don't need it? I just want to have it you know, activated. I think that's a cultural change also in, in the usership of things. And that's exactly what we're driving. We're, we're helping organizations, customers, brands, whatever you want to name it, to, 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 on that journey to usership. And yes, there will be still ownership, but I, I have a 17-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. Um, they're all, they don't want to own anything. Um, my son bought, him, bought himself a car, but only to go to the mountain for skiing or mountain biking. He would never even think about driving into the city. So it's a totally different use case where ownership um, is a different use case than usership. And I think that's an interesting part where we will see, I mean, we are the old guys here. Um, um, the younger guys will decide where to go. And I saw some research on the Generation Z where, you know, um, they come back to ownership, but in a different meaning for them. Um, where they kind of, yes, I want to own something, but it enables me to do something that I wouldn't be able to do 
in terms of freedom, in terms of going somewhere where you, you don't have the flexibility of just renting a car for a couple hours or a day. It wouldn't make sense to go to Italy maybe for the weekend. Using this in a city like Munich, where they say, I'm, I'm mixing, you know, um, 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 official trains with a scooter and then maybe go home by, by, um, uh, by a taxi or by an Uber. It's a, it's a mixture that will be interesting. And I see me, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling quite a bit. Where I use myself, um, I'm using an Uber, using a, you know, I was a conference in, in Stockholm where the taxi driver didn't come and I had a, a speaking engagement in front of customers. And when I got too close to it, I just jumped on a scooter and drove to the, um, drew to the, to the venue, which took me 20 minutes or half an hour. And luckily it wasn't raining. Um, so I, I just got in there in time just by flexibility of what is the mobility available and which makes the most sense at the same time. And that's where I think it's going. And the inside of the car will not be anything different from building my me as a, a consumer, um, building what I need. And your needs, Steve, will be different in the car than I am. So ad adapting as your your mobile phone, you know, the, the entrance will be looking different, um, the screen than my screen, because you build it the way you want to have it, because you have different demands and you see different value in different activities or um, uh, services. And that's the same thing I expect that cars will become exactly that, that you build your car and you, the, the digital experience around your needs and values. Well. You have covered just a wealth of information. I have a million more questions, but I think I'm going to have to put those on hold for now. And just thank you for joining us and ask you, you know, if you had kind of a final thought for automakers, for developers, for consumers that are interested in this connected car experience of what it's going to mean to them and what are the next steps, what, what would you tell them? I would tell them, um, please be curious, be, um, um, be more suspicious what customer wants, be more centristic, centristic the, as you love your product. And all these do fantastic, nicely crafted products. That's a fantastic muscle that needs to stay. But you need to build that muscle of knowing and understanding your customer. And that's in the end, the audience that you want to attract with. And I think if you have the same muscle that you have in 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 production and in designing and building cars as you do with customers you're in a very good spot in the world and 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 that's one thing the second thing is nurture your customer protect your customers because that's your value that's your entrance point and if you don't do that um, you most likely have the risk in running into be just becoming a uh, hardware provider to the digital world who are owning the in inside of the space and who are owning the money flow from inside the car. So that would be my two points um, if they're still listening. <laughs> Your second point certainly has relevance to BlackBerry. Uh, we are a software company. Uh, we chose not to be a hardware company anymore. And um, it, it, it really is an interesting inflection point for this industry and i'm so happy that there are services like zora out there and that there are people um evangelizing this and and helping us flex because i think flexibility is going to be very very important we have our 
our cultural approaches and what we're programmed to do and what we've done now for generations, uh, you know, the, the relationship that we've had with automobiles and that our markets have had. Um, but this is, this is certainly changing. Axel, I want to thank you so much for opening our eyes to all of this and for being a guest on our program today. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun and happy to talk. And if you want to connect, please connect me with me in LinkedIn. And we're happy to kind of give you a little more food for thought. <laughs> well, that's the end of our episode for today. But if you'd like to get more information on the topics or our guest, check out blackberry.com slash podcast. Get in the Connected Vehicle Podcast from BlackBerry is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes.